everybody. It is an honor to be here. It's always an honor to be able to come here. And uh, I am so grateful, so grateful for the kindness of this assembly. And uh, uh, it is, uh, you know, it is a tremendous honor to have family here. Because uh, you know that I'm perfect, but they don't. <laughs> Uh, anyway, but they come anyway, so I, I'm very grateful when uh, I, I have an opportunity to share with family. I thank you all for coming today, and I also want to say thank you to this church for uh, the support that you have given me uh, over the years. It has is, it is really been very meaningful, especially during COVID and all of that, but uh, yes, uh, some have asked where I've been, what I've been up to and stuff, so anyway... Uh, I do send a letter here to the church, um, and I think it's posted, but of course y'all don't look at that. But uh, anyway, I was able to be in Europe for three months this spring, uh, February, March, and April, uh, Switzerland, and a little bit in France, uh, and we had just a tremendous, uh, it was a tremendous opportunity to be able to uh, be back on the other side of the, the water and to share in those places. and to see that God is at work anyway, everywhere. And uh, also, so now, as uh, Velma mentioned, uh, I'm on my way east during the summer. I've been very busy and within driving distance in Saskatchewan, Manitoba and stuff. And uh, now I will be gone uh, for the next two and a half months through uh, uh, Ontario and Quebec, most of the time uh, in Quebec. So, uh, uh, I, I told Brother Melanson, uh, j'ai besoin de pratiquer mon français, j'ai encore perdu, <laughs> j'ai perdu beaucoup, but I am very thankful, and I, I am uh, trusting the Lord to help us with these precious, precious people all along the way, and uh, I did set up the table at the entrance of everything that we have available is on that table, and I've asked uh, Jonathan, Melissa, and uh, Danielle, to uh, look after it, so they'll be happy to take all your money. <laughs> and uh, do your Christmas shopping early, as we say. Uh, I don't have anything new since the last time that I was here, but something's in the works. When I come in November on my way back, I have a Christmas CD, and uh, also I will have a new book that, uh, Lord willing, shall be, I shall be able to uh, let you uh, have first dibs on. So uh, uh, I invite you to uh, uh, just kind of save your pennies for that. <laughs> okay, hey, uh, I am so thankful. I want you to turn with me to two scriptures. I don't know if they're going to be able to put them up or not, um, but I want to read, first of all, Psalm 30 and verse 5. Psalm 30 and verse 5. I have the old King James translation. I'm going to read it. Psalm 30 and verse 5. For his anger endureth but a moment. In his favor is life. And it's uh, the second part. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And uh, 
I want to build my thoughts around this hope that we have in the Lord that in the darkest moments of our life, God has a plan and God makes a way. And so I want you also to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30. And most of my thoughts this morning are going to be out of 1 Samuel chapter 30. Most of my scriptures that I want to share with you. So um, uh, I don't think they're going to have it up for us. So if you have your Bible, you can open it at 1 Samuel 30, and we'll just hang out there for a while. So I want to read verse 6, and then I'm going to tell you the story. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Now, you know, whenever we speak, we speak out of our own experience. And so, you know, we've all experienced those difficult moments in our life. But David had been anointed king when he was about 16, 17, just as a lad. And then he had killed Goliath, and then you know that King Saul had been incensed with jealousy against David. He was so tormented with jealousy that he sought to kill David. And so David had surrounded himself with another, a number of men who were also in trouble with Saul. There was about 600 fellows who were either in debt, <laughs> owed taxes, <laughs> or they uh, had gotten into some trouble, and they were, King Saul was against them also. So they had fled from King Saul, and they had joined David. So David had like his own little army, and they had been escaping from King Saul on many occasions. And one day, David said to his men, you know, if we stay in Israel, one of these days, Saul is going to kill us. So they went into the land of the enemy, the Philistines, and the Philistine king kind of had a, heart, a soft spot for him, and he gave him the city of Ziklag to live in. And so David and his 600 men just kind of moved into town, took over the place. And uh, they, uh, uh, they would go out, it seems, every <laughs> probably weekend, and they would wipe out neighboring tribes of other enemies that were bothering the Israelites. And so he was trying to do the work of God while living in the land of the enemy. Well, one day he came back from one of some of these escapades, and when they came into the city of Ziklag, in their absence, somebody had attacked the city of Ziklag and had taken all of their wives and all of their children and had burned the town. They could not find anybody, so they knew that they, as far as they knew, the wives and children were not killed, but the people that were with David were 
distressed. These 600 men like freaked out. Like our wives, our children are gone. What are we going to do? And as they were in such distress, David was in distress too because his wives and children were gone. But, you know, whenever you're in trouble, you look for someone to blame. (laughs) And so they were looking for some way, somehow that they could vent their frustrations, and so all of them suddenly said, it's all David's fault that our wives and our children are gone. Isn't that amazing? You know, but the world doesn't change much. I mean, when we have a problem, come on, wives, who do you blame? Your husband or your (laughs) mother-in-law? Mother-in-laws particularly, or, 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 you know, uh, trouble in the country. We always we seek to blame the leadership, and uh, we, we, in a church, we often blame leadership. It's all their fault. It's all their fault. And so these men turned against David with a vengeance, and they said, it's your fault that our wives and our children are taken. And David realized that he was in an extremely dangerous, desperate, despairing situation. He knew what those men could do because he had trained them. He knew that his life was in grave danger because if they turned on him, they talked about stoning him, he realized that they could kill him very easily. And so he entered into probably one of the most desperate, difficult, and dangerous situations of his entire life. It says that David was greatly distressed. We've all been there. How many have never been there? If you haven't been there, it's coming soon. It happens. Stuff happens. So David found himself in this desperate, dangerous, dark, distressing situation. And I don't know what your crisis is. As I look at you, you look beautiful. Some more beautiful than others. (laughs) No. I don't know what your crisis is. I don't know what your situation may be. What is your darkest moment? What is the dark moment that you are passing through? We could all find something, couldn't we? You know, it might be the flat tire or the broken thing on the truck, or it could be something with the toilet that won't work, or it could be something with the dishwasher. It could be something with a lost job, maybe a financial crisis, maybe a, a, a family crisis. Maybe you found out situations with your children that are tearing your heart to pieces. Maybe some of you are in, 
in moments of tremendous anxiety because you, you're uncertain of where your daily bread is going to come from. How many can relate to a dark moment? Dark moments. Let me see. Just wave a finger or a hand. Uh, yes. We can all relate to dark moments in our life. Well, I want to remind you that God sees the big picture. And I'm reminding myself this morning, too, by the way. But God has a big picture. And I heard this line, even in your darkest moment, God is still present in the darkness. Psalm 139, the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to him. God is still at work even in the darkness, in the difficult situations. And somehow, beyond us and beyond our ability, we must understand that God has a plan. He has a plan from before the foundation of the earth. And as someone said, God is not surprised. Nothing has taken God by surprise. Your lost job, your flat tire, is not a shock to heaven. The violent earthquakes and the flooding and the fires are not a shock to God. In fact, when we can look through the book of Revelation, we see certain things that are happening and are about to happen. Uh, you know, we realize that there is a huge picture from the beginning of time to the very end of our Earth's age, there is a picture, and somehow we have a part in that plan, and our darkness even is known to God. And the thing that really struck me about this story, as we go along, is that what David thought would destroy him was actually the setup of God to position him in exactly the right place at exactly the right time to fulfill God's plan in David's life. Could it be the thing that I think is about to destroy me is actually God positioning me in his plan for this moment. You remember when the disciples were on the boat and there was these tremendous waves and Jesus came walking on the water. The disciples thought that the waves were going to destroy them. But that was the very thing that God used, that Jesus used, to walk to them to come to the boat. I remember a man saying uh, that because of the trauma that he experienced in his family, it forced him to his knees, and he called out to God, and he found Jesus Christ as his Savior. But he said, if I had never gone through that crisis in my family, I would never have come and turned to God. The very thing that we think will destroy us could be what God is using to turn into a road to come to us. So in the middle of all of this chaos, God has the big picture. But I want to take time to give you three points this morning. Somebody said every good sermon should have a good start and a good finish, as close together as possible. 
That's not going to happen. Just saying. Anyway, but three things this morning that I found as I was reading this scripture that David did in the darkest moments of his life. And I pray that the Lord will help me and all of us to be able to do these things. Three things that David did in the darkest moment of his life that helped to sustain him until the day came. And the first thing that I see, I'm going to read again, verse 6. 1 Samuel 30 and verse 6, what I read at the beginning. But David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord is God. Number one, if I could put a title to that, the first thing that we must do, I must do, is at all costs, in the darkest moment, keep our confidence in God. Keep confidence in God. Confidence in God. Would you say those three words? Confidence in God. No matter what is happening, keep confidence in God. He encouraged himself somehow, some way. God will take us through this situation. And, and uh, with all of his strength, he reminded himself of the promises of God. He, he reminded himself of the faithfulness of God. It seems that that is one thing that the enemy attacks in us all is to shake our confidence in God, uh, trusting God. We know we're supposed to trust God. And that, but to just trust God is so, so much easier to talk about than to do. Yeah, I trust him, but, 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 you know, trusting, keeping confidence in God, trusting that somehow God's promises would bring him through. He knew he had been anointed as king of Israel, and his life was in danger. He was passing through this terrible moment. And he encouraged himself in God. If I can encourage you today, keep your confidence in God in your dark moment. Somebody has said, faith requires a revelation of God's intent. But trust requires a revelation of God's character. I read this line in a Billy Graham magazine, and I've memorized it. I've put it up in various places to remind me, because I, 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 how many are like me? You, you, you forget stuff, especially when you're in trouble. <laughs> but this line said, don't become so preoccupied or dismayed with people or circumstances that you forget God's ability or that you doubt God's ability to handle the situation in his time and in his way. Let me say that again. Don't become so preoccupied or dismayed with people 
prime ministers, politicians, bankers. Don't become so preoccupied or dismayed with people or circumstances that you doubt God's ability to handle things in his time and in his way. I think my biggest problem is I wished his time was my time. You know, I'm a wonderful organizer. I have a tremendous gift of organizing. I love to organize my life. And I'm pretty good at organizing everybody else's life. Unfortunately, most of them don't recognize my tremendous talent for organizing their lives. And sometimes I've discovered that I like to even organize the Lord. <laughs> uh, how many are like me? <laughs> you know, he just do stuff the way I, and when I wanted it. Wouldn't it make my life, my life, me, myself, and I so happy? Don't be so preoccupied or dismayed with people or circumstances that you doubt God's ability to handle things in his time and his way. You know, sometimes we pray, and yes, we pray, and yes, we trust the Lord, and we all are on the same journey. I'm just a pilgrim with you. And sometimes when we pray, we're not sure if God's going to answer or not. And, and sometimes we can doubt and lose trust because he doesn't do it the way we plan. Uh, it reminds me of a story that I heard <laughs> about this church. This church was a beautiful uh, uh, edifice and a wonderful crowd, successful, flourishing church. But right next door into the building moved a nightclub, a striptease nightclub entertainment joint right in the building beside the church. And the church was in a flap. Oh, my goodness. Our children are going to have to step over those needles. Our, 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 our kids are going to see those lewd pictures of advertising. And they're going to have to come in over all of that. And, oh, they were in a, oh, my. So they began to pray that God would move that business out of their area. And within the year, the place went bankrupt. And they were quite thrilled about it all. But the owner of the nightclub took the church to court. And he said to the judge, like trial by judge, he said, it's all because of that church that my business went bankrupt. They were praying and they were preaching and, and my business went bankrupt. And it's all that church's fault that I lost my business. And of course, the church said, oh, no, we didn't have anything to do with it at all. I mean, it just happened. You know, we didn't know anything about that. But I don't you know. And the judge said, what we have here is a most peculiar situation. We have a nightclub owner 
who firmly believes in the power of prayer and a church that does not. confidence in God. Would you say that again? Keep confidence in God. The second thing that he did, I find in verses 7 and 8. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answering said, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. So my second point is, he centered on solutions. Would you say that with me? He centered on solutions. Now we boldly come before the Lord, asking for direction, asking for uh, uh, his direction, what we should do, and we, we have that in the New Covenant. We have, can come right to Jesus and ask for his help. But in the Old Testament, they often inquired through the use of prophets and priests. And so David, in this dilemma, did a tremendous thing. He exhibited extraordinary leadership skill. And he called the priest and he said, what should we do? He turned everyone's focus away from the problem and filled them with a solution. That is an excellent leadership skill. Because if we focus on the problem, everybody just gets mad, upset. But David, after he kept his confidence in God, he began to search for a solution. We've got to find a solution here. All our wives and kids are gone. What are we going to do? Just going to sit here on our duff and, and, and cry and die here? Or are we going to find a solution to recuperate that which is lost? What are we supposed to do? And he sought the Lord for an answer. And he sought the Lord for a solution. And he called for the priest. What should we do? We're in such a pickle here. Show us what to do. And he asked the priest, should we go and take uh, after them? And the Lord said through the priest, yes. You will bring back everything that is stolen. Go. He centered on solution. So many times in my experience, I have to be careful because it is easy in my moments of distress to settle down into despair and to make it a cloak of despair and to die in despair, to just sit there and say, it's all over, it's all over. It's very easy to do that, to collapse in despair and become a victim, to permit ourselves to be victims and to enjoy being a victim. 
Anybody know anybody like that? Don't move. There's actually people that enjoy being a victim. Oh, everything's gone wrong. Everything has happened to me. Oh, and, and self-pity's kind of in there, too. You know, we kind of drool in it. And, and so we, we, we take on the cloak of a victim mentality. It's one thing to be a victim. It's another thing for it to become your lifestyle and your mentality until it, that it covers you and takes you over. I have met Christians who have been taken over with this mentality of, I am a victim. And they live like that, bouncing from one mess to the next mess, never searching for a solution, never finding a solution, never following through on the solution, and living continually in the poor me. A victim. Some people actually make excuses to remain a victim. Well, I can't get out of this because I got no money. Well, get off your duff and get a job. Do something. Pick up tin cans. Oh, no, you don't make money from tin cans down here. You know, in Saskatchewan, we can pick up, like, pop bottles and stuff. We can take them in and we get money. <laughs> That's true. Valma uh, gave me a bag. I took it in. I got $25 worth of pop cans. So I told her to keep saving them. You know, like, I mean, you know what I'm saying is, you know, search for solutions. Don't make excuses to remain a victim. How many got my point? How many wished you didn't? Okay, so. Center on solutions. Let's say it again. Center on solutions. If you need to forgive, forgive. If you need to stop sinning, stop sinning. If you need to change your attitude, change your attitude. Find the solution to your problem, and then you can go forward. And that's my third point. My third point I find in verse 9. Following right down, I'm going to read verse 9. So David went, he and the 600 men that were with him, and came to the brook Bezor from where those that were, uh, where those that were left behind stayed. So anyway, there was uh, a, a couple hundred too tired to go forward. So anyway, but he, once he had a solution, he picked up and he took off. He began to go forward and he continued with purpose. That's my point. He continued with purpose. Everybody say, continue with purpose. Say it with a little more punch. He continued with purpose. I said he had confidence in God. I said he centered on solutions. And I said he continued with purpose. He just picked up and he kept on going. He pursued the enemy, and I'm just going to read over here in verses 17, starting in uh, 16. Anyway, they, they all went, and they came to a place. They came to this, uh, they found an Egyptian that had been left behind, and the Egyptian told them that he knew where these Amalekites were that had attacked the city. 
And so he went with them, and it says that in verse 16, and when he had brought him down, behold, they were spread abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking, dancing, because of all the great spoil that they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. So when David and his men came, they came upon this valley, it seems, full of all these Amalekites having a hyper big party. Like it was a shindig. They were having, they, the valley was full. Everybody they was drinking and partying and dancing because they'd taken all of these wives and all of these women and children and cattle and everything else. And they'd probably locked them up in the corner while they did their, their blowout orgy. And David came over the hump, and here they are. Just, all oh, a massive drunken party. <laughs> they were all like, what do they say, three sheets to the wind? Or five sheets or a whole bunch of sheets to the wind. I mean, they were absolutely out of it. And now I want you to notice the next verse. Verse 17. And David smote them. From the twilight, that is, they probably showed up there just as the sun goes down in the Middle East, probably about 5 o'clock, 5.30. And he smote them. They started fighting from the twilight even onto the evening of the next day. They landed, they saw all of these people having a drunken party, they, he had only 400 with him, men with him at that time. They went down there and they began to fight and destroy the enemy. But they had to fight all night. They fought all night. 24 hours they fought. From the one evening right through to the evening the next day, they fought. They gave it their best. They fought fought, and they won back all of their wives and children. They fought all night. You know, it seems to me sometimes in our experience, as we continue with purpose, that we may have to fight all night for our children. Fight all night for our situations. They fought. Now, we, they fought with swords and spears and stuff. We can fight on our knees. It's a picture of our prayer. We can fight in the night, in the dark moments of our life. We can fight, and sometimes we must fight all night. How many get my point? How many get my point? I encourage you this morning, in the darkest moment, don't give up, don't give in. Just hold fast and keep fighting even through the night. They fought. They did everything that they could to destroy the enemy and to take back what the enemy had stolen from them. Continue with purpose. 
My third point was continue with purpose. What was my third point? Would you say it? Keep on going. Keep on going. Continue with purpose. But now I want to see, show you something. This is the bestest part of the whole deal. I want you to, if you have your Bible, look at 2 Samuel chapter 1. Just right on the same page, practically. So they, they took back all of their wives and children and went back to Ziklag. I'm going to read verse 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 1. Now it came to pass after the death of Saul when David was returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites and David had abode two days in Ziklag, just stopping there. So David had all of his men. They brought back all their wives and their kids and they came back to Ziklag and they had a happy holiday for two days. I mean, wow, is, this is great. We got all the wives and all the children back, and everybody was happy, 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 happy. This is so wonderful. There's been a breakthrough. There's been a miracle. How tremendous this is. For two days, 48 hours. Now, at the very same moment, that they had been fighting the Amalekites on the north end of Israel. King Saul had been fighting with the armies of Israel against the Philistines in the north. And there had been a terrific battle, and King Saul was killed. And three of his sons, including Jonathan, David's friend, they were all killed. David didn't know anything about it. He was so busy fighting his own battles. But at the very same time, at the very same time, when David was passing through the dark moments of his life, and when they went against the Amalekites, King Saul was fighting a losing battle. Listen to verse Two. I just want to read bits of it. And it came to pass on the third day, the third day. Lots of things seem to happen on the third day. That behold, a man came out of the camp from Saul, and it goes on and it says, Saul has been killed. It's a kind of a long story, so I'm not going to read more than that. Seventy-two hours. After the darkest moment of David's life, 72 hours. That's three days. Everybody say 72 hours. Don't go to sleep. now. this is getting in for a landing here. 72 hours, three days. Give or take a little bit. After David is in great distress because his... They are speaking of stonium 72 hours after the dangerous, dark, difficult, desperate moment. The most dangerous, desperate, difficult, dark moment of his life. 72 hours. Everything was changed. Saul was dead. And the process immediately began. 
for the fulfillment of God's promise for David to be king. It says in verse 4 of chapter 2, And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. 72 hours after the darkest moment, everything was changed. Everything went on a totally different path, a totally different scenario, and now David is destined for the throne that had been promised to him 15 or 20 years ago. Everything changed! The kingdom was given to him. Weeping may endure for a night. The scripture said that at the very beginning. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. We may be on the cusp of one of the most tremendous, dynamic, incredible deliverances we've ever known. In the darkest moment, you know, the days are getting shorter now. You know that the darkest moment of the night, the darkest moment of any night is when? Just before the dawn. Just before everything is clear. My friends, this morning, we're there. Keep your confidence in God. Center on the solutions. Continue with purpose in the middle of the night. Because the dawn, very, very soon, the first rays will begin to come. And if nothing else, we know by the very scenes around us in our world that very, very soon he is returning. Jesus said, when you see all of these things happen, and he listed some of the stuff we read on the news every day, he said, when you see all of these things happen, he said, then lift up your eyes and look, because the first rays are coming. He's coming. Lift up your eyes and look for your redemption. I don't know if you're in a dark moment. We've all had different experiences. Some of us, it may be more traumatic than others. But we can take the hope that the darkest night is just before the dawn. Joy comes in the morning. You know, it makes all the difference when we we have the assurance of Jesus' presence with us. And I don't know. There's some that I don't know here. Maybe there are some of you this morning. You don't have that assurance. But Jesus is with you. Maybe you've never given him your heart. But you can today. You can give him your heart. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that these words will come real to these people and to my own soul. That in the dark moments, the dawn is not far away. Oh, Jesus. 
Help us to do these things in those dark moments. Help us to keep our confidence in you. Help us to center on solutions. Help us to continue with purpose while we wait for the dawn. In Jesus' name. As we're just bowed, if there is anyone that is here that does not know the Lord as your Savior, you don't have a living relationship with him. Maybe you're new. I, I don't know some of you. But right now, right where you are, you can pray, Jesus, take control of my heart and my life. If you're new, if you don't know who to talk to, you can talk to Pastor Velma that was up here earlier. You can talk to me after if you've never given him your heart. But you pray right now, Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my life. In fact, it would be good for us all just to say that together. Let's say it together. Jesus, I give you my heart. Let's say it. Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my life. Let's say it. Jesus, I give you my life. Take control. In Jesus' name.